Um, let's go to God in prayer before we open up our time together. God, we approach your throne and we are mindful of your presence in our lives. We're mindful of the many and varied ways in which your finger, fingerprints can be found intricately woven into our very being. It's so hard for us to see those things in the moment, but as we look back, we can see the way you have worked in us and the way you have worked on us and the way that you have worked through us, even through some of the most difficult of times. There are many among us today who are, are dealing with many things. There are many among us today who are dealing with loss, and they're dealing with loss in a time where um, loss is prevalent. There are many among us who are dealing with loss of income and jobs, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of hope. There's just a lot of loss going on. It's prevalent in our societies, it's prevalent in our communities, it's prevalent in our culture, and it's so easy to allow that to creep into our way of thinking as Christians as well. But may we be reminded daily that you are the good shepherd, the one who never wavers, the one who is faithful, and the one who stands fast. And we pray for the next moments as we open up your word and explore who you are and who you've called us to be, that we would just simply be still before you, that your spirit would work on us, that you would begin to shape us and mold us and transform us more and more into your likeness each day. And as we leave this place, may we be emboldened to follow where your spirit leads. Discern your voice among the many that are waging war in our minds to follow that voice. We thank you for Jesus and the unity we have in his blood. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. How are you? My typical response to how are you is I'm tired. Busy. Even if I don't say outright I'm tired, my body is telling you, I'm telling me I'm tired. My eyes are probably telling you that I'm tired. My soul regularly reminds me <clears throat> I'm weary. And I was weary before this darn virus came about. I was tired before any of this came around and, and threw our world into this, this bizarro universe that we're living in where if you walk into a place without a mask, you're the weird one. You're the one that's out of place in that moment. Right? There was a time where you would see those images in a movie and you would think that's weird, but in one sense we've kind of come to expect some things that we would never anticipate. I was tired before getting ready for a Sunday morning church service required trying to figure out how to make sure that a live stream was going to be good for those who can't be with us in person. I was tired before I realized that I had to count on Facebook to connect to some people who I used to be able to connect by simply saying hello. I was tired before going to school for my kids meant getting up early and that's it. Weariness. I'm tired. 
I'm worn out. As one writer wrote the anti-Psalm 23, and it started in this way, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me. No one protects me. I experience a continual sense of need, and nothing's quite right. Sometimes that resonates more than the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing that I lack. But as Christians, we rely on God to provide rest, restoration, spiritual sustenance over and over and over again, regardless of life's pace and life's circumstances. If there is one thing that this time that we are living in has taught me, and I have to go back to this regularly because it's a lesson that I learned early on in this process, and that is how busy, how full we have packed our lives with things that are good, but maybe not necessary, with things that are positive, but maybe not godly, with things that may be better than other things, but maybe they aren't the best things. The amount of things that pull on my time and my energy became very apparent when those things were taken away. As that time has progressed, that lesson has been really easy to forget. And there is a bizarre part of me that longs for that busyness to return. Because maybe it's really easy to forget the kind of anxiety that comes with that kind of busyness. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing that I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. The first thing we're going to look at here today in this psalm is this idea of self-sufficiency, right? I mean, we live in a culture where self-sufficiency is what is lauded. From a young age, I can do it myself. It's something we are proud of. I mean, I shared that story with you about Jody. She was three, and when Daddy said, I can help you, her first response was, I don't need your help. And she didn't need my help to say the 23rd Psalm. And there is a tendency for us to continue to live with this mindset that says, I don't need your help. I can do it myself. Asking for help just means that I'm weak, means that I am less. Like we hear the story over and over again, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't know if you've ever tried to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, but it's not possible. It is not possible, yet somehow it has been ingrained into us that that is how you succeed in life, is by getting there and getting there on your own. 
You don't need a hand. You don't need help. You don't need somebody's word. You don't need somebody's aid to get where you're going. All you need to do is just take care of yourself. And look out for yourself along the way. But self-sufficiency has these detrimental effects in our faith. Right? It's not just about the community, about our culture, which we'll look at in a moment, but it really destroys what it means to live in faithfulness to a God who has said, you only don't need help when you are in me. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing that I lack, not because I have attained it or received it or, or earned it all, but because I find it all in the good shepherd. It is in our weakness. It is in our time of greatest need. It is in that moment where we are willing and able to look up at God and say, I need you, that we find ourselves lacking absolutely nothing. Our modern society glorifies, though, this, this busyness culture as a means to success and wealth. Some would even say that in order to attain success and wealth, an eight-hour day isn't good enough for you. You've got to work 10, 12, 14, 15 hours a day if you really want to make it. If you really want to become something in this world, if you really want to gain the kind of wealth and influence, it requires a different kind of work ethic. But that's what it takes to be successful. And that might be required if you're just starting a new venture, but that is not sustainable for you personally. It is not sustainable if you have a desire to do anything in life other than work. It consumes, it gets into our minds, and we're unable to even put it away. It destroys our faith because it continues to convince us that we don't need God. I don't need anybody to do anything that I want to do. I've just got to go take it. I've got to go do it. And it is up to me. But we live in a culture that wears busyness as a badge of honor. Chronic busyness is not a badge of honor. It is not a status symbol. I have even found myself at different points in my life kind of getting into a busy war with people. You think you're busy? Let me tell you how busy I am. Like, I remember being in, in college, not the first time, the second time. I was 30 years old, I had three kids, uh, a mortgage, and I'm sitting in, I think it was James, the class on James. And a paper was due, and someone said, or I brought my paper out, I sat down, and they said, oh man, I didn't have time to do that paper last night. I said, I don't want to hear it. You know, and this 19-year-old kid was like, I was just so busy, man, we had a flag football game last night and we had this and I said let me tell you about my day yesterday I went to class when I got out of class I went to school and I picked up my kids from school I dropped my kids off at home where my wife had four other children that she was babysitting I dropped them off I took my oldest we went to baseball practice I dropped Dustin off at baseball practice I came back and I picked up Jody and I took her to gymnastics where, where I left her there to practice and then I came and I started helping do dinner and then I went to, to, to work on Dustin's baseball practice while my wife went up to the gym to pick up Jody and to work with her gymnastics practice and after we got done with baseball practice I went home and then we started cooking dinner and then we laid the kids down for a bed and then at 830 I got a chance to speak to my wife for the first time and at 930 I actually had a chance to think about doing homework so I don't want to hear about how busy you were 19 year old kid and I walked away from that conversation just going yeah 
Got it. I'm busy. Busier than you. And while that's kind of a silly illustration, it illustrates just this way that we have worn. You think you're busy. Let me tell you what I'm doing and why I'm busier than you are. And somehow it is this busyness that has given us some sense of identity, some sense of belonging, some sense of accomplishment, when really it is destroying us internally and externally. The Mayo Clinic put out a a statement. They said the long-term activation of the stress response system and the subsequent overexposure to cortisol and other stress hormones disrupt almost all of your body's processes. Those stress hormones can increase your risk of health problems such as anxiety, depression, headaches, heart disease, sleep problems, and even memory and concentration impairment. As a society, we need to stop glorifying being busy. We need to stop competing against each other for who is the busiest. That's not just about society. Like as a society, we need to for our own physical health. But as a church, Jesus didn't come in and say, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly so that you can go and fill it with the busyness that does not affect the kingdom work. Jesus didn't come in and say, all you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will place loads and loads and loads of stress on you while I make you busier than you ever thought you could have ever been. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. It's no wonder we have so many things that we have families that are falling apart, we have people that are falling apart, we have emotions that are falling apart, we have minds that are falling apart because we have identified ourselves, identified our success, we have defined who we are, not by the rest that we have in Jesus Christ, but by how many things we can juggle at once. Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, If you're going to come to me, the good shepherd, in me, you will find the rest that you are seeking, even if it's not the rest that you know you are looking for. 23rd Psalm makes the Christian take an important look at their life. The believer take a very important look at their life and say, God is calling us, each of us, to just slow down. You've heard the phrase, right? Stop and smell the roses. And most of the time when we hear that, if we're really walking through life like we generally are, we're going, there were roses. Didn't even see the roses. Didn't even think to stop and smell them. And we miss out on so much because of the pace at which we are striving to live life. And we're trying to fit into a world that we've already acknowledged we don't belong in. He says, slow down. I get really, really tired, right? I, I, I get tired of all kinds of things, right? I don't like repetition. I don't like it when someone comes and asks me for the same thing over and over again in, in my house. Like, I've told you once where the keys go. If you can't find the keys, find them. I'm not helping you look. 
My mom, she used to say it all the time in the house. I told you once, I'm not going to say it again. I knew what happened, and my dad had to say it again. That's why I went and asked mom. Sometimes she would cave and tell me. But we don't, we, we don't have the kind of patience that God has. The good shepherd never tires of restoring his sheep. He's not like you and I. Then we say, look, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or as George Bush said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, but just don't fool me again. We don't take that kind of repetition very well. It's not kind of in our human nature. But God does not tire of you. David's life was far from perfect. Even before he became king, David's life was far from perfect. Um, he was banished from Saul's court in 1 Samuel 18. He was given a wife as a snare, but instead his wife loved him in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 21. David was on the run because Saul wanted to kill him in 1 Samuel 19. He had to live off the land in 1 Samuel 25. He's not even king yet, but he understands what life of difficulty and trial means. And over the course of David's life, he's going to know what it means to come to God over and over again and say, I have failed you again. I have fallen short again. I have sinned again. And God over and over again says, a man after my own heart. Because God never gets tired of his sheep coming home. No matter where they've been. No matter what they've done, no matter how smelly they are or how dirty their fur, or how many brambles they've been tangled up in, no matter how many broken bones or how many bit bite scars they have, God never gets tired of looking at his sheep and saying, come here, let me clean you up. It's who he is. Charles Spurgeon commented on this passage by saying that when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He does it. His ministers could not do it. If he did not, his word would not avail by itself. He restoreth my soul. Are any of us low in grace? Do we feel that our spirituality is at its lowest ebb? He who turns the ebb into the flood can soon restore our soul. And he never grows tired of restoring your soul. Sometimes I wonder if we imagine a God that gets tired of picking me up and dusting me off and bandaging up my wounds and sending me back into the world. But he doesn't do that. That isn't the nature of God. We can return again and again welcomed by his immeasurable grace for the sustenance we need to walk the paths of righteousness that he has laid out for us. Because the good shepherd is trustworthy and he is reliable even when or even especially when my feelings are not. Like it was Mythbusters, I believe, that did an episode on whether or not this is true. The statement that says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's a true statement. Mythbusters proved it. And if Mythbusters proved it, then bank on it, right? God leads us to water. He can lead us to still waters. And I suppose God is powerful enough that he could make us drink, but he doesn't make us and force us to bend to his will. He just leads us 
leads us to a place where we can drink. And there's a lot of times where I look and I don't feel right. I feel angry with God. I feel hurt by God. I feel abandoned by God. And God looks at that and says, that's okay. You can feel whatever you want to feel. It doesn't change who I am. Because my feelings are good for a lot of things. They, they bring me to a lot of points and a lot of places. But my feelings are not reliable. They are far too easily damaged. Far too easily hurt. Far too easily changed. Far too easily manipulated. But it's easy to find ourselves in a place where we are making decisions and judgments about God and God's presence based on what I feel. And my feelings are kind of like the weather in Louisiana. Give it a minute, it's going to change. The weather must be like that everywhere. Because you know what they say in Oklahoma? Oklahoma weather. Give it five minutes, it'll change. And it's true. In Oklahoma, I went into the library one uh, November day. I had been playing basketball. I was wearing shorts and a sleeveless shirt. Or library, I went to the computer lab. I spent an hour and a half typing a paper. When I came back, it was 20 degrees and there was an inch and a half of snow on the ground. I mean, I know what it's like out here. I drive a Jeep that generally has the top and windows off. You know how quickly I can get caught in a rainstorm? And before I get the windows on, the storm is gone. They say that in Texas, they say that in Montana because the weather is like our feelings, it's not reliable. People make good money trying to predict something that is unpredictable. And for some reason, we continue to bank on that weatherman's prediction. Just like we continue to bank on our feelings, on our emotions, instead of on the good shepherd who is trustworthy and reliable. My security comes from a God who is. Not from how I feel. When God leads us to water or makes us to lie down in green pastures, we can trust him. I don't always trust the people that are around me who are telling me and leading me and beckoning me to do some things. But when God says, you can lie down right here, you can lie down. When God leads us to still waters and says, drink deep, my son, because this will bring you the refreshment that you desire and you crave. know that he is trustworthy and reliable when he brings me to those pastures and says take refuge here because you are protected here from the wolves there is no predator that has come so come to me and find rest I may not be able to let my guard down with the people with whom I live around and near but in God I can rest secure in the tender, loving care of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd of Psalm 23. I don't know where you find yourself these days. Maybe you find yourself in need of beginning a relationship with Jesus, being baptized in the waters of baptism, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness that only comes in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some other way the church can be of assistance to you. If you're watching online, you can fill out that attendance card. You can shoot me an email. You can call the church office at 225-272-8936. You can text me directly. 
If you're here among us, you can make it known by coming forward and letting us know what we can do for you.